0: The temptation came in like a flood. I found myself walking down a block and then overwhelmed by the temptation that I was feeling. And I changed my direction to go into the direction of the temptation. I started to walk there. And immediately, I knew this was not going to go well. I had given in to this temptation Thousand times before. I know that at the end of this temptation, I am left broken and crying and hurting and wondering why. But I kept on going. And I remember thinking to myself, this is crazy. What are you doing? Get away. Turn around. Go somewhere else. But I kept on going and kept on going. And it was just like I thought. I acted out, and it devastated me, and I hated myself. I wonder if you've ever had an experience where you get tempted and you start pursuing a direction, start going down a road that you know is going to end badly. This does not have a happy ending and yet continue going continue moving towards that direction for many of us our whole lives were changed after a moment like that the divorce was soon after the kids didn't want to speak to us anymore the the job said, you cannot be here anymore. All of us face temptations. All of us go, face temptations that can destroy our lives, and we fall to these temptations when we know they're wrong. So I have a question for you. If we know they're bad for us, if we know it's going to end badly, if we know this is not going to go well, why then do we do it? That's what this whole series is about. This whole series is about addressing the thing under the thing, not just what you do on the surface, but why you do it under the surface. So we're going to start talking about something that you might think has nothing to do with your life and has everything to do with your pain. We're going to talk about idols. Idols, if you think about it, in the 21st century, you think about idols. Here's what you think about. You go, oh, yeah, tribes in, like, third world countries where, you know, they worship, uh, where they worship carved images or they worship an animal or they worship a, 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 a fruit or something like that. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's an idol. Of course that's an idol. And I'm here to tell you that that's not it. Uh, I have a definition for you of what an idol is. Here's an idol. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Let's look at that together again. And what's an idol? It's this. Anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. So you see, idols, um, they're, they're, they're not just this terrible thing that we do, like that day that I just told you about. And I'm not telling you what the temptation was, because I think if I told you the temptation, half the room would say, well, I never struggled with that. And the other half of the room would say, wow, oh, I get it. But you see, you have your temptation. An idol is simply, if you want to put it simply, an idol is a good thing that we make into a God thing. That's what an idol is. something that you elevate. You can't be without You make it a good thing, a God thing. What can be an idol? Well, anything, really. It can be your children that are good, that are wonderful. Let me tell you something. Your children, they're wonderful. They're good, but they ain't God. I know some of you think they're God, but they're not God. And let me tell you something. Children are wonderful to rear, horrible to worship. Have you seen what happens to kids when you worship them? (laughs) Nobody wants to be around that kid. But here's the deal. It can be your children. It's a good thing. Is there anything wrong with children? Not at all. I love my children. I'd give my life for my children. Do they control my life? Do they have my affection to the degree greater than God? No, because then I'm doing them a disservice. Marriage. My wife. I love my wife. I love Jesus more. And my wife is glad that I love Jesus more because my wife knew what it was like to have my love, and she doesn't want that. She wants God's love flowing through me to her life. So we're looking at four idols, four big, now there are a million idols. I just pointed to one, children, another one, marriage, another one, uh, uh, your your physical fitness. It's the summer. It's the summertime and we think, "Oh man, you know, we got to get the beach body or we have to look a particular way or or something like that." Let me tell you something. Your body can become an idol. When you start putting that above God, it's an idol. Anything, money, anything you can imagine. What we've done for the sake of this series is we've boiled it down to the four root idols. In other words, All of your idols will fall under one of these four categories for the most part. Today, we're going to look at the idol of comfort. We're going to look at the idol of comfort. And we're going to look at a text and see how comfort can destroy our lives. Now, let me give you the definition of what comfort is so that you can kind of get it around it. And so, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to And there's a lot I have to do in this sermon. In this series, there's a lot of information I have to give. So I'm going to try to make this as easy as I can. But it's a lot of information to download. So if you can, take notes and then review later. I'm going to define. I'm going to share with you how control ruins us. And then we're going to go through a text to help us to see what God says about it. So here's comfort. Comfort and we're going to what we're going to focus on comfort so comfort is the big idol the little idol under comfort is let's say temptation and whatever your temptation is i don't know what it is you do so we're going to look at comfort and here's what we seek when we seek for comfort now let me just define this before we uh, before i do that comfort is an overlonging for pleasure without jesus let's say that together comfort is an over longing for pleasure without Jesus. Now we're going to say that again, but this time you're going to say it like it's six o'clock in the afternoon. Okay? All right. Let's try. All right. One, two, three. Comfort is an over longing for pleasure without Jesus. Now this is so important. Do you think that? Do you think that this has the capacity to ruin your life? You bet. In fact. Some of you have gone to detox because comfort was too much. Some of you have gotten sexual diseases because comfort was what you were looking for. Some of you have do you understand what we're saying here? Comfort can destroy. Comfort can ruin. Comfort can wreck a life. And overlonging for pleasure without Jesus. Now, pause right there. Is pleasure bad or good? No, pleasure's fine, man. You're kidding me? Pleasure's fine. I I hope so. I hope so. Because, like, I presume my my wife is a pleasure to me. Serving in this ministry is a pleasure to me. See, the question is, is pleasure good or bad? Is Is it more important than God? Ah, for some of you, maybe not so fast. You see, here's the thing. Am I looking for comfort more than I'm looking? Let me say it another way. When things are wrong, when your body is racked with pain and your job is super stressful, when you're feeling lonely and you just, let me ask you like this. How do you spell relief? Now, some of you are under 40, don't get that joke. There was a joke that went around, and I'll explain it because I really do see blank stares. Um, there was a there was a, a a commercial that went around, and and it was this. It was a Rolades commercial, and it's how do you spell relief? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. I was hoping as a kid to get Rolades on a, a a test, a spelling test, because it was the only word I knew how to spell. R-O-L-A-I-D-S. I D E S. I'll never forget it. Rolades spells relief. You see, when you have a but. Whoa, 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 whoa. How do you spell relief? How do you spell relief? I don't know. How do you, what do you look for when you're lonely? This week, um, it was a super busy week, and I felt like nobody understood how busy I really am. And I started to sulk within myself and say, they don't understand how hard I work. They don't know how early I get up and how late, and all this other stuff. And I started this longing for something other than Jesus to bring me comfort. A temptation started to wash over me. You see, when we look for comfort, let me ask you something. When your marriage, I'm going to explain, listen, I'm going to explain to some of you why you cheated. When your marriage was at that crossroads, and she was acting horribly, and he was so insensitive, and they were so bad to you. When that was happening, what did you do to make it through? I think we found your idol. You can't blame anyone else. You can't blame anything else. Your idol is what you run to when the chips are on the ground, when your idol is the thing. This idol that we're looking at is comfort, and it's an overlonging for pleasure. That means literally, if after a stressful day, and there's nothing wrong with after a stressful day coming home and watching a sports game, but do you do understand? If it's been three months since you've sat down with Jesus in prayer, but you know every statistic of every baseball player that's existing today and before, do you understand how that is becoming an idol? You're looking for comfort. And then you'll walk around and go, you know, I just don't feel Jesus I know, because you're running towards another God. There's another God who's tickling your fancy. There's another God whose bed you're sleeping with. There's another God who's satisfying you. And Jesus saying, truly, only I can satisfy you. So that's our definition. An overlonging for pleasure without Jesus. Here's what we seek when we seek for comfort. We seek for privacy, a lack of stress, and freedom. Freedom. Privacy, a lack of stress, and freedom. So like the, the example that I just gave about the watching the sports thing, that's why you're so furious when someone interrupts that. Because it's the only way for you to get charged up. And if you're not getting charged up, then all is lost. You'll never be able to get relax. You'll never be able to have pleasure. You'll never be able to be refueled. It's the way you spell relief. What's the price you're willing to pay? Well, if comfort is it's reduced productivity. In other words, this is the one that you run to as a distraction. So you're not the husband you should be. You're not the father you should be. You're not the employee you should be. You're not the wife you should be. You just just want to be left alone. You just want a few minutes with your God, and then everything will be all right. What's your greatest nightmare? If this is your God, if comfort is your God, what's your greatest nightmare? Stress. Demands on your schedule and time and life you will avoid that like the plague. Because again, you live for comfort. You live to get pleasure. You live for a God that's not Jesus. How do others often feel when they're close to you? If this is your God, here's how they feel. Hurt. Hurt. Because you're always looking to get away you only use them for your satisfaction. They're always feeling hurt. What's the problem emotion that you'll experience? It's boredom. You'll be bored with a bunch of stuff. And you'll say, the only way I need to, the only way I need to, the only way I need to, is to get whatever it is that you go to. The Bible knows that we're gonna struggle with this idol called comfort that we're going to struggle with temptation. We're going to struggle with running towards things that are not God. So it gives us in Romans 1, 18 through 25, and we'll do this quickly. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The book of Romans is like the Apostle Paul's magnum opus. It's like it's his swan song. This is incredible, theologically dense. It's easily the most theologically dense book in the Bible. And so in chapter 1, he talks about how idols ruin your life. Honestly, I could have done this passage with any of the idols that we're talking about. But I want you to see how uh, right here. This could almost have been the introduction or part two of the introduction. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, what I want us to do is um, I want us to stand in the reading of God's word because he's holy and incredible. Then I'll read it and here we are. And verse 24 and 25 we'll read it together. Is that fair? Verse 24 and 25 we'll read together. Here we go. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and uh, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human, like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Please have a seat. This is God's word. So Paul is trying to help us understand why we run to the things that we run to. And here's what he says. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, how has God made it plain? Look at the next verse, uh, 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, I want you to see this. God declares to the whole world, God declares to the entire world that he is, and he is awesome. He declares it to the whole world. In other words, you ever, you ever heard this question, hey, what about people in, you know, in some third world country who've never heard of Jesus? What happens to them? I'm telling you, God is speaking to them, even as we sit here now. God is speaking to them. How does God speak to them? Well, it's simple. Have you ever, have you ever gone outside of New York and then look? You can't do this in New York because you only see six stars. But at night and look up into the sky, have you ever gone outside of New York? I did that. I was in Maine one time, and we were traveling down a road that had absolutely no lights, It literally was the darkest place I've ever been. if I closed my eyes, I couldn't have been any darker. I could not see the hand in front of my face. It was this long road, but I stopped because I noticed that there were more than six stars in the sky. And so I stopped. I was with my uh, kids, and we stopped, and we looked up, and it was unbelievable. It was jaw-dropping. You could not look at that and say, oh, yeah, explosion, random. You couldn't do that. You would look at that and go, the heavens declare the glory of God. Let me tell you something. As far as we know, so far, and we've looked all over the Milky Way galaxy, haven't looked in every inch of it, but scientists have looked all over the solar system, and we have not found another life form. So, either the heavens, like the sky, where the stars are, is a gross misuse of real estate. (laughs) Because it has no purpose. Or God is trying to tell us something. Because I'm telling you, the Milky Way galaxy is a rather large cul-de-sac for a tiny planet like Earth. We don't need all these stars. We don't need this expansive universe. We simply don't need it. And yet, there it is. Why would God go through so much trouble to create stars that will literally burn out before the earth, I mean, before you and I were even born on the earth, before humankind was born on the earth? Why would he do that? He's saying something. He's saying something. We have so much water, On this earth, did you know, there's a cool little fact. Did you know that there's no new water? There's like no new water. The water that was here a million years ago is the same amount of water that we have right now. It's like it goes through that process, right? It condenses and it goes to, and then it rains down. There's like no new water. Why would God make the amount of water that he's made? Most of the earth is covered with water. Why is it that when you stand out in the ocean, you're just like, oh. Why is that? Because the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The heavens are saying something. The heavens are pouring forth speech. God is great. And we look up in the heavens and go, yeah, but, he, you know, my rent is $1,700. I don't know if he can handle all that. See how great... But that's what we do when we run to idols. We go, you know, yeah, you know, nice stars, but I'm feeling frisky. I'm not sure he's going to be able to handle that emotion. Madness. You know, you look, you stand out in the ocean, and you go, and you look at that, and you go, yeah, wow, lots of water. But, man, I, I'm feeling stressed, and I want to eat not hungry. I just want to eat because I'm feeling stressed. God can't possibly handle my stress. You see, it's crazy when we talk about that, but it's exactly what happens. When you and I run to our idols, when we run to something other than God, what we're saying is, God, you can't satisfy me. You can't, but I have something that will. Thanks for trying. See you later. Paul says that everyone in the earth, they hear the voice of the whole heavens, of the whole earth, declaring this incredible truth. There is a God. And, and, and okay, just to, let me just take a minute for, you know, my... For those I know, we come to, I didn't come to church. I came to church as an atheist. I came to a service like this. I was an atheist. I wanted nothing to do with God. He was just like the last house on the block, so I came. So let me speak to you guys, if you came in like me. Listen, you would never, you would never look at a beautiful watch like a Rolex. You would never look at a beautiful Rolex and think that, you know, there was a, a, a clock factory that exploded and then created this Rolex. You would look at it and you would turn it over and you would see inside and if you saw the gears and how it you would say, "Oh my gosh, this is really complex." This is so complex. It needed an intelligent designer behind it to make this complex piece. Or you would never go and see a 2017 Corvette. Have you seen the new Corvettes? They're super sexy. And so you would never see one of those Corvettes and, and think to yourself, you know what? A junkyard exploded. <laughs> and it just so happens that over a course of a million years or a billion years or a trillion years that the parts finally came together in this. It's too, that's madness. You know why you wouldn't say that? It's too complex. And yet we look at each other our human eye is more—it can Our human eye is more advanced than the most advanced lens that there is in the world, and we have lenses like the, the adjustment to light, the adjustment to distance. Isn't it incredible how I'm looking at you right now, and you're you know X amount of feet away from me, and then a few inches, and my eyes adjust without me even thinking about it. Try to do that on your phone, and you have like a seven hundred dollar phone, right? And you and and, do, and then just go like that. See how fuzzy it is. See how long it takes. Our eye does it without thinking, and that's just one aspect of who we are. You can't look at you and say that there is no God. I look at you, and I see a divine masterpiece. You're not God, but God made you incredible. And so Paul is saying, we can't act like God doesn't exist. We can't say that my idols will satisfy me better than God and that God won't satisfy me because we just, all we have to do is look at the heavens. All we have to do is look at the grass. All we have to do is look at the ocean. God is real. He's true. And he's really, really good. Verse 21, for although they knew God, that means you look up in the sky, you say, oh my gosh, yeah, there's a creator in the universe, absolutely. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you see that uh, progression? Here's how it happens. They knew God. So we're here, and we're listening to a Christian message. We might even pray. We might even read our Bibles. We're here. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, God is real. Matter of fact, most of America says that God, I'm not saying most of America is Christian. I'm just saying most of America says, yeah, there is a God. Right? They knew God. They neither glorified him. That means they didn't give him his due. They didn't glorify him as God, nor gave thanks to him. There was no kind of gratitude. Believe me, beloved. If you want to worship God, you want to get out of depression, Start being grateful. Thank God for what he's given you. You want to break out of your idolatrous cycle that keeps on keeping you stuck? Beloved, be grateful to what God has given you. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the eternal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. You go, that's crazy. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. How many times have I been in this church and I've gone to someone and they've come up to me and they say, hey, I met someone. I go, that's the best news ever. How cool is that? Hey, you know, uh, let's, let's connect, man. Let's have dinner. My wife and I will take you out. Because no, 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 he's... I, I don't want to bring him to church. He, he's, he doesn't want to have anything to do with God, and I'm kind of going with him. I go, no, 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 no. okay, let's, let's pause. This is not great anymore. Let's talk, okay? <laughs> and so I'm giving you a variation, because I don't, you know, I don't want to, but, you know, but, but it's, it's like this. And I go, no, 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 you don't understand. What, what, what you're doing is that you know God, but you're neither glorifying him or giving him thanks. Your thinking is becoming futile. Your thinking is becoming simple. It's becoming foolish. Because here's what we do. We say, oh, no, I'm going to replace the glory of God with my idol. Because I'm telling you, he drives a really nice car. It's a really nice car. Or you wouldn't believe how she looks in that dress. She's way better than God. Way better. God can't hold a candlestick in comparison to the supernova of this lady, of this guy. What have we done? We've replaced the incredible glory of God for this silly idol of comfort. And we've done it without even thinking. Then, here's what happens, because I've seen this happen only a million times. Then what happens? Your God doesn't deliver. You know the guy who promised you the world but didn't deliver a half a block? Yeah, that guy? Yeah. Yeah. That guy doesn't deliver. That girl doesn't deliver. And you know what we do. You ready for this? We get angry at God. We do. We get furious at God. God, you didn't give me my God. Madness. And yet all the time, I can in a hundred different ways. I could give you, I could regale you for hours with giving you examples like this. God is saying, I'm so much better. see, God is not a God who's like furious and is like jealous and is, uh, uh, or is like immature in this way where he's like, oh no. God knows, God knows that you are pursuing something that won't eventually give you joy. And so he fights for your joy. And he knows that the thing that will give you most joy is himself. You know how furious I would be if I saw somebody giving my son, so I have five kids, right? My little son David is four years old. You know how furious I would be if someone was handing him uh, a chocolate bar filled with poison inside? You might see me hurt somebody. You might see me act irrational. You might see me act in a way that is passionate, about that boy because I know that that won't bring him joy. You know God is that way about you because you're feeding yourself poison and you're running to an idol that will never deliver and you're giving yourself death. And God says, no, I don't want that for you. Therefore, interestingly enough, here's what God does. You wanna know what the worst punishment in the history of the world from God is when we pursue our idol? You want to know what the this is, I'm, I'm gonna share with you the wrath of God that is absolutely the worst possible wrath that God could give. Worse. Here it is. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. That's the worst. Therefore, God gave them over. When you've been sinning against God, you've been running to your idols, the worst thing that could possibly happen is that God stops plucking at your conscience. The worst thing that could possibly... We have a whole society that thinks a whole slew of stuff is absolutely fine. This idea is fine. This... Proclivity is fine. This lifestyle is fine. This way is fine. A, we have an entire society that says what God says is good, we think is bad. And what we think is bad, God says is good. We have an entire society that's flipped on its head. And you know what God says? The worst thing, if, you're, if you find yourself remotely struck in your conscience by your sin, that is a mercy of God. Because I've been around people, and maybe you have too, who don't think that what they're doing is sin and they're killing themselves. I mean, it's dangerous and terrible and horrible. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life. God gives them, God. C.S. Lewis said it this way in, in life, there's two types of people. One type of person says, God, thy will be done. And then there's the other type of people of whom God says, thy will be done. You see, these idols never satisfy. They don't satisfy. They'll never satisfy, but God will. So let's, let's close quickly. They exchanged, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator God who is forever praised. Amen. Amen. We're going to close in five minutes, so I need you to really focus, because what I'm about to tell you is huge. How, then, do we get out of this idolatrous cycle? How do we get out of it? How do we get from running, like, knee-jerk reaction? I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a long time. I love Jesus for a long time, and this week I got a little bit uncomfortable, and I wanted to run back to my idol. How do we do it? How do we stop running back to this idol? Of Here it is. You ready? It's worship. It's worship. I know, I know. You were waiting for something more cool. Listen. It's worship. It's worship. Let me see if I could explain this. It's worship. When your affections are caught up with someone, it's hard not to think of that someone. It's hard not to. In fact, this happens all the time. Have you ever? My goodness! In romantic relationships, it's the easiest illustration I can give, right? You love somebody, and they—you love somebody, and they tell you to do something totally crazy. You're like, "That's not so crazy. I don't mind." Oh, you want to take my car for a four-week trip around America with your cousin who I've never met, and she's really pretty? Um, sure, that makes sense to me. We'll we'll do the craziest things when we're in love. Listen to me. When you love God, it's no longer having to work yourself up to it. So let's go back to what we learned about gratitude. How do I fall in love with God? How do I worship God then? If worship is the solution, how do I do it? It's simply this. Pause in gratitude. So literally, you pause at the beginning of your day, and you go, God, I love you. You've been so good to me. Let me, to be a little Shakespearean, count the ways. God, you've given me the breath of life I don't deserve. There were times in my life where I didn't even want the breath of life, and you persisted. God, I know we're having troubles with this kid. They seem to be going in the wrong direction. But God, thank you for their life, and thank you for preserving them thus far. God, I know my body is breaking down, and I know the end is year. There are fewer years ahead of me. This is a very interesting thing. When in life, you finally get to the age, I just recently had a birthday, and it dawned on me, I think I got fewer years ahead of me than I have behind me, right? Like, it used to be most of my life was like, oh, yeah, there's more to be had than behind. Now it's like, um, I think you tipped the scale on that one. I think you've gone too far. Now watch this. God, thank you. Even though my body's breaking down, I know that we'll have a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. And that while right now my body's racked with pain there one day, I'll be able to pirouette on my grave. I'll be able to dance like never before. See, we go to God with his truth and we grow in gratitude. So if that's how you do it, then what let me ask you a question. What? How do you spell relief? Have you figured that out? And what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Is it pornography? Is it shopping? Is it uh, excessive TV watching? Is it is it social networks constantly? What is it? Is it food? What is it? I don't know what it is. Listen. Go to God with it. You have to identify it. So here's what I need you to do throughout the week. Okay? You ready? Here's your homework for the week. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to go uh, back here, and we'll have, like, coffee and and some light um, refreshments. I want you to go back there, and I want you to sit down with people, and I want you to ask this question. So what's your idol? And so say, for instance, we've been talking about the grand idol of comfort. Someone might say, I think it's food. I think food is the thing that I run to. I think it's sex. Sex is the thing that I run to. I think it's purchasing things. Purchasing things is what makes me relaxed. It brings me comfort. What's your idol? And then ask a follow-up question. How is Jesus, how is he better than your idol? Because, and I'll tell you what happened uh, in the rest. So I started to get this sense where I wanted to act out this weekend. I was filled with temptation. I wanted to act out on sin. And I started to pray. I was like, God, I think that that will bring me pleasure and comfort, but Lord, you're my pleasure and you satisfy me. Lord, would you satisfy me? For the rest of this day, I'm going to look to you for satisfaction and joy. And you know, he did. Throughout that day, even in the madness, he satisfied and gave me joy throughout that day. That's the way it starts. That's where we begin. Now, for the rest of this series, we're going to talk about other idols. Let me tell you what they are. You, can't, you don't want to miss this one. This is the idol of approval. Anybody here struggle with people-pleasing or codependence? Yeah, that's under this idol. It's the idol of approval. This week is the idol of significance. That means that you want your name in lights. You want people to recognize you. You want, to, you know, you want power and authority and influence. You don't want to miss this week because all of us struggle with this. If you've ever, if you've ever been uh, to your spouse and said, you didn't even notice that, and then you finish the sentence, you struggle with this idol. When we go through this week, this is the idol. Are you ready for this one? This is the idol of control. Anybody here struggle with control? Just two of you. I get it. I understand. We're going to talk about it. And so here's what we're going to do. Every week, I'm going to try to explain the idol, define the idol, tell you what emotions and Um, the way relationships are affected by that idol. But in the end, I'm going to, in your bulletin, there's a prayer to teach you how to pray through your idol. So we're going to pray that now. And we'll listen um, to the song that the worship team has for us. Betsy if I can get your... Thanks. All right. So does everybody, in your bulletin, you have a note, right? You see it? Okay. Now, here's what I've done. All right, um, a couple of disclaimers. Um, this prayer, that's not my prayer. I got it from a guy by the name of Tim Keller. The quote that I just did, I forgot to give credit for that. That was in a book called, by the same author, Tim Keller, it was a book called Prodigal Gods. Prodigal Gods. It was really super helpful. Okay, so now, this prayer from Tim Keller. He's really been helping me out with this concept. He's helped, more than anybody else, has helped me with this concept of idols, the thing under the thing, right? This prayer is a prayer that you can pray, and I want you to pray it all week long. Just pray this. There's no magic, but there's no magic in the words, but there's a a pause where you start reflecting and identifying what your idols are. So, let's... Read this prayer together. Are you ready to pray with me, to address some of your idols? All right. So let's read this together on the count of three. Are you ready? We're going to take it slow. Read it together. One, two, three. Lord, only in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Psalm 16:11. Yet here am I, trying to find comfort. In something else. Why rake in a mud puddle when you have set a table for me? Psalm 23 5, filled with your love, peace, and joy. This thing I am tempted by is just a pleasure that will wear off so soon. It's a sham. And cheat, while your pleasure, though it may start small, will grow on and on forever. Proverbs 4.18. And remove my idols of pleasure, which never can give me the pleasure I need. So what I want you to do is this week, would you do this? How long did that take? Did that take 35 seconds? I don't think so. It was very short. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take five minutes, and I want you to pray the simple prayer. Lord, only in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. And then where you see Psalm 1611, I want you to open your Bible to Psalm 1611. Just open your Bible to Psalm 1611. I'm going to do it now. 1611, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Would you do me a favor? Just turn there when you're praying this each day in the morning and just think about what that means for you. He will fill you with eternal joys and pleasures. He will satisfy He's better than alcohol, Crack, pornography, food, anything that you can imagine. He's better than the, let me tell you something, he's better than the wink of a boy or the joy of a girl. He's better. Take the time to be reminded about how much better. And then as you pray through the rest of it, just look up the scripture as you go through it and ask God to point out the idols in your heart that you're giving into.